This is our fourth week, I believe, in this mini-series that we are working through called Flourish. Uh, The series is based out of the Gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And our working thesis uh, for the series is something along these lines, that Jesus wasn't interested in helping people become more religious. Now, as I've been saying every week, that might be surprising to you because you might think to yourself, well, isn't that actually the whole purpose of Jesus coming? It might depend on how you define religious, but what Jesus really came to do was to help us to flourish, not so much to help us become religious. If the way you define religious leads to true flourishing in Jesus, then sure, that's what Jesus came to do. We looked at, um, we've been talking about and coming back to this purpose statement that Jesus makes for his own ministry in John chapter 10. And that's actually the passage that we come to this morning. It's where Jesus says, I have come so that they might have life and have it abundantly. So by Jesus' own words, that is the purpose for which he came into the world. And the passage that we come to this morning, not only does it include that very purpose statement, but we're going to find this metaphor of sheep and a shepherd. And we're going to have to work through um, what should our understanding of these words be? Why would Jesus use this metaphor to describe his relationship to us? So let me read uh, the text for us. John chapter 10, verses 7 uh, through 18. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's uh, go to Jesus in prayer now and ask him to be present with us by his Spirit as we work through the passage together. Jesus, speak to us from your word this morning. Help us uh, to understand, and not only to have mental understanding, but to have heart understanding. Our prayer is that you would deliver this word, this passage, home to our hearts that we might experienced it, that we might enter into the plot line of this narrative, that we might see ourselves as sheep and you as the good 
shepherd. We trust that you're able to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, whether we find ourselves currently believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. Come, Holy Spirit, find us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to read to you uh, some words by Scott Swain on the topic of human flourishing. He writes this, The challenge for the church is to define and promote human flourishing in accordance with biblical teaching, to present and commend its alternative approach to human flourishing in the face of competing cultural visions, and to embody human flourishing in the presence of God amid a culture of death and destruction. Following the instruction of Holy Scripture, Christian theology instructs us about human flourishing by instructing us about human nature. Now, there's a lot there, a lot of good stuff there. That last line especially strikes me, particularly in light of our passage this morning. Christian theology instructs us about human flourishing by instructing us about human nature. That's really helpful, and it's going to be really helpful as we consider this text together This morning. Another way of saying this, or another way of thinking about it, is that if we are really going to be able to tap into true human flourishing, we have to have an accurate understanding of who we are as human beings. We have to have an accurate view of who we are as people. And in this passage in particular, we are referred to as sheep. Now, despite what you might be thinking, that is not. Um, something that we should necessarily celebrate. It's actually a very humbling thing, and we're going to talk about um, the nature of sheep and why that is as we go forward. But there's also something more pleasant, something that um, we should celebrate, and that is the fact that Jesus also refers to himself as the good shepherd in this passage. So we are sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd. I want to look at three particular things that Jesus does in his role as good shepherd in our passage this morning. I want to talk about how he knows us. I want to talk about how he protects us. And I want to talk about how he leads us. If you're joining us this morning, not all of my sermons have three points, but this one does. Um, Three points, uh, sometimes it's argued that in about the span of 30 minutes, um, a speaker has about three points to work through. Well, I don't know if that's true. But we have three points this morning, and hopefully it'll be about 30 minutes, so we'll see. But Jesus knows you, Jesus protects you, and Jesus leads you. When we talk about Jesus knowing us, this is where it's really critical for us to understand who exactly it is that he knows. When Jesus says he has accurate knowledge of who we are, do we have an accurate knowledge of who we are? Because if this makes sense, we won't really understand the full meaning of Jesus knowing us if we don't know ourselves. Jesus knows us. Now, think about sheep. Probably don't think about sheep a lot. I don't think about sheep a lot. But sheep are not strong and independent creatures. You probably know this maybe based on the limited knowledge that you have of sheep. Um, But sheep are often referred to as being dumb. It's true. You can laugh about it. Um, It's kind of silly, but but it's true. Sheep can be really dumb. There was a a headline um, from about 13 years ago that read like this. Turkish shepherds watched in horror 
as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff. This was from a Turkish newspaper report in 2005. And within the article, it talks about how these sheep plunged to their deaths while shepherd, the shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. In other words, what one sheep did, all of the other sheep did. This is the mode of operation for sheep. Sheep are directionless apart from their shepherd. Did you catch that line? This all happened because the shepherds had neglected them to eat their breakfast. Jesus says we are sheep. Not only Jesus, but throughout the biblical story, we are often referred to as people as sheep. And so as people, the Bible is claiming that we are directionless apart from a shepherd. We can often, frankly, be and bluntly be dumb. Now, the Bible doesn't just speak about us in negative terms. The reason that this is all the more tragic is because of where the Bible actually starts with human beings. The beginning of the Bible, we are created glorious. Uh, We are created as image bearers of God who um, follow God as our guide. But what has happened is that we have rebelled against God's good guidance in our lives wasn't meant to be so. Life was not meant to operate in that way. And so apart from God, we find ourselves directionless. We often find ourselves and know ourselves to be silly sheep who are constantly messing life up. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So when we talk about truly accurately knowing ourselves, we have to begin here because this is what Jesus knows of us. Catch what he says in this passage. He talks about um, him being the good shepherd, verse 11. And then he goes on to say, um, he he talks about the hired hand um, fleeing um, with a threat of danger because the hired hand doesn't actually care about the sheep. The hired hand is more concerned with what? His wages. And so he flees and leaves the sheep vulnerable to to threat. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us inside and out. Jesus knows us thoroughly. Jesus knows us comprehensively. Choose your word. Jesus knows us to that extent. Now, for many of you, you hear that, and maybe you nod, you maybe even say amen, but do we really stop to pause and reflect on the implications of what that means? Are you comfortable with that? Now, I know that you, if you love and know Jesus, sure, you're comfortable with that, but are you really comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with this idea that there is one who knows you inside and out thoroughly and comprehensively? Because that is the claim that Jesus makes on our lives, that he has that deep kind of exhaustive knowledge of who we are. And yet Jesus chooses to remain with us. Uh, I recently listened to a 
sermon um, by another pastor. I don't get that opportunity much. It wasn't in person. It was online, but I still don't find the time to do that as much as I would like. Um, but in the sermon, the pastor was um, using this illustration or analogy of uh, a bride and a groom um, committing to each other through their wedding vows in a wedding ceremony. And the way that he talked about it was that basically in the vows, each person is saying to the other, all right, later on down the road, when I really get to know who you are, I'm going to stay. And that's the, the vow and commitment that the other person makes. And yet still, there's a breakdown in that analogy when we apply it to Jesus and us, because in my marriage with Katie, I know Katie better than any of you, I hope, right? But I don't know her exhaustively. I don't know her comprehensively. And I'll flip it around. I, can, I know for a fact that she doesn't know me um, in that way. She doesn't know every thought that I ever have. That would be overwhelming for her, as it would be for me to know every thought that she's ever had, especially when she's mad at me, right? It might not be that pleasant. But even in the most intimate of human relationships that we can think of, where we say, yeah, that person, they really know me and they stay with me, it's not the same as Jesus knowing us and staying with us. Because Jesus knows that every thought that you have. Jesus knows the every inclination of your heart. And yet what he is saying by claiming to be your good shepherd, my good shepherd, is that even though I know all of that about you, I choose to stay. I choose to remain close to you. In fact, I knew that you had struggled to believe this, so I laid down my life for you to prove it. This is all coming to us in the context of this statement that Jesus makes. It's that statement that we've been coming back to throughout this series, um, his purpose statement in verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. To have it, abund to have it in abundance means literally to have a superabundance of a thing. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I came to give you this thing, which is life, so that you might have it in superabundance. To be a follower of Jesus, to know who Jesus is and what he means by this statement is to have a superabundance of life, a life of vitality, a life of flourishing, a true and genuine life, the life that we were made for. And Jesus makes this claim in the context of competing voices. If you remember um, the quote that I started with, and I don't expect you to remember um, most of it, um, maybe the last line um, where um, he talked about, I don't remember it now. So I don't expect you to remember the last line because I forgot it. Oh, about human flourishing and human nature. Maybe you remember that. I didn't remember it. Um, but he, he, remember where he started. He started by talking about the competing visions for human flourishing. So Jesus makes this claim, he makes this statement in the context of all of these other competing visions of human flourishing, all of these other competing voices that speak into our lives in the same way that Jesus' original audience that he was speaking to, in the same way that there were a multiplicity of voices speaking into their lives, competing for their allegiance, competing for their vision 
of what true human flourishing is. And Jesus says, it's me. It's found in me. In the midst of all of these competing visions and voices, I'm going to make this staggering claim, abundant life, human flourishing is found in me. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is making a staggering claim. We heard Psalm 23 read by Bethany in the call to worship. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, let me ask you this, and if you want to look at it and reflect on it, um, it's in the worship guide, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. But is this not what you want? I mean, really, is this not, and it doesn't matter where you're coming from this morning. It could be that you're not a Christian and you write the Bible off. Okay, that's fine. But is this not what you want deep down inside for your life? To have somebody who makes you lie down in green pastures, who leads you beside still waters, who restores your soul, who leads you in paths of righteousness, who fills every lack. This is what every human being longs for. It's what we desire. And Jesus is making the claim in John chapter 10 that he is that shepherd. He is the Lord. He is God. And so as God, Jesus has this exhaustive knowledge of who we are. And so that's where um, we start with this passage, that Jesus, in his role as the good shepherd, knows you. And that's our starting place. We've already touched on some of the reasons why, but the reason that it's especially important to start there is because I want you to sit with that truth for a few moments, that Jesus truly, really, exhaustively, comprehensively knows you. He knows all of your thoughts going through your head right now, even you doubting, <laughs> that Jesus does have that kind of knowledge of you. He knows that thought that went through your mind because it went through mind as um, multiple times as I was preparing this message throughout the week. He knows the condition of our hearts. He knows all of the ugliness. He knows it all, and yet he still says, I want to be your shepherd. Jesus doesn't only know us, he protects us. So he, he takes it further. Let me ask you this. Based on this knowledge that Jesus has of us, what is his outlook on us? What is his perspective? How does he view us? And we could personalize the question. It, it becomes scary. But think of the person that you know most exhaustively um, in your life, that you know most comprehensively. In their worst of moments, how is it that you view them? What is your outlook on that person? Well, Jesus, um, in another gospel, in Matthew chapter 9, we're told that Jesus looks out on the crowds, and we're told what his view, what his outlook is. And it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's powerful. So Jesus knows us thoroughly, and yet in that, what is his outlook on us? He has compassion on us because he sees how harassed and helpless we really are. He sees that we are sheep. He sees that we are directionless apart from his leadership in our lives. 
And because of that outlook that he has of us, he is willing to do whatever it takes to protect us. And this is where we can own the fact that we are sheep. You know, we talked about how this is humbling, how it's sobering. Um, you know, I, I use the word dumb, but I, I don't, I, I, don't I, I use that um, in the context like we talked about of God's love for us, but also the fact that we are image bearers. Um, so we've talked about all that, but we can actually own those things. We don't have to be afraid of an accurate view of our human nature because of who we know Jesus to be. Jesus is willing to protect us. Did you catch, uh, I think I read it again just a few moments ago, or we at least I had a, a glance through it. Jesus talks about the hired hand and how he's different from the hired hand. The hired hand was basically just a person who was hired to watch over the sheep maybe at night. But what does Jesus say? In the face of danger, in, 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 with the threat of a wolf or the threat of robbers, what is the hired hand likely going to do? The hired hand is going to run in the opposite direction. The hired hand is going to flee and leave the sheep vulnerable to danger. Why? Because like I said earlier, the hired hand is not so much concerned about the sheep. The hired hand is concerned about the wages. Jesus says, I am not like that. I am not like a hired hand. I don't care about the wages. I care actually about the sheep. Jesus doesn't run from us in the midst of danger. Remember Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, about how we all like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one of us has run away. Well, that passage goes on to say, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then goes on, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53 is describing this situation in which we as human beings are in grave danger. We are in grave danger because we have run away from the good shepherd. We are directionless. We are like sheep without a shepherd. And yet in that very vulnerable state, as we are open to all kinds of danger, um, we're open to the danger of ourselves running ourselves off the cliff, we're in, in danger of being consumed by God's wrath, and yet what does Jesus do in our most vulnerable state? Jesus does not run away. Jesus does not flee. Jesus does not try to make excuses. He does not try to get out of um, being our protector. It says that he opened not his mouth. Jesus sucked it up for us. He knew us exhaustively. He knew us comprehensively. And yet Jesus went to the cross because he protects us. He will not allow us to be exposed to ultimate danger. So it's not flattering being a sheep, for sure. Being a lamb. Is it a sheep? Is that, is that how you say it? A sheep or a lamb? But this is where we begin to see our great value in being sheep. This points to our value, that we have a shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for us. And so 
Think about it this way. Um, I got this from somebody else commentating on the passage, but if you try to hold on to your value but deny the fact that you are a sheep, what is that? Most likely makes you a jerk. Most likely means that you're arrogant. If you try to hold on to your value but deny that you are a sheep, and what that means is that you're not uh, owning your true human nature and condition. You're not owning the fact that you are one who is direct, tends to be directionless. You're not owning the fact that you're one who tends to hurt other people and bring harm to the people, places, and things around you. And so you deny that, but you want to hold on to your value. Well, most likely, that makes you arrogant. But on the other hand, if you try to hold on to being a sheep but deny your value, this is self-loathing. This makes us hate ourselves. That, oh, I'm a sheep. I'm directionless. I'm no good. And we're losing sight of the great dignity and value that we have, first of all, by virtue of being made in God's image, but by second of all, remembering that Jesus gave up his life for us because he valued us so much. How is it that Jesus can make these kinds of claims? In the context of competing voices, how is it that he can make these kinds of claims? And and why should we respond to his voice? It says that Jesus knows his own and his own know him, that he lays down his life for those that the Father has given him, the sheep. How can Jesus talk in this way? Well, actually, right before the service started, I heard a story that I think illustrates where I want to go with this really well. I was talking to folks who have a family member in Africa right now, and this family member was recently in somewhat of a dangerous situation. Um, this person doesn't understand the language, so you know, they, they weren't fully aware exactly of what was going on, but they picked up on the fact that there was heightened tension, that there was conflict, and they found themselves not in the middle of it that they caused it, but not knowing exactly how things were going to unfold. And what was going on was that um, there, it had to do with a tree being removed to another, moved to another location. And the people who wanted the, the tree to remain is because there was a God, they claimed, who lived in the tree. And so as this, this, this situation is escalating, finally one person says, I'm going to go talk to the God. So he climbs up on the tree to the very top, um, is up there for a few moments, comes back down and says, okay, here's what the God says. Uh, the God wants us to get a chicken and basically sacrifice the chicken. So they get a chicken, the guy literally bites into its neck, Um, and sacrifices the chicken to the God to appease the God. But guess what? The God ends up wanting more. Now, this is is the nature of how, I'm going to first say religion. It's the nature of how religion works. Um, I'm I'm using religion here to contrast it with the true flourishing that Jesus brings. If we are living our lives according to, to religion, trying to be good, do stuff in order to appease God, it never is enough. It just steals and steals and steals. Religion in that regard is a thief. And it's not just religion. In this particular situation, you might hear that story and think, that is so ridiculous. There are people in the world who believe that. Yes, because you believe that and you live like that too. Your God is just something else. This is the nature of this. This is human nature. This is the exact, this is the precise thing that we're talking about. 
we are directionless. We sense that we are in need of a good shepherd, and so we are looking, we're searching, we're trying to do whatever we can to appease the gods. And so it might not be a literal god that we think of who lives in a tree, but it could be performance for you. It could be um, acceptance in relationships. And so for performance, it could be, all right, um, I'm going I'm to excel in this area. And once I arrive here, once I've climbed the ladder and I've done this, then I'll find that superabundance of life. But guess what? You know the dynamic. You arrive there and you need more. Oh, that's, it wasn't that. It was the next rung on the ladder, so I need to go up there. It's not just religion. This is human nature. And we do this with relationships. If I can just have that relationship, if I can just get in there and be accepted by that person, that group of people, then I will have flirt. But it's never enough. Never, ever, ever, ever. And so Jesus speaks into all of these competing voices, religion, performance, relationships, you fill in the blank, and he says that superabundance of life is found in me, in what I do for you, and what I have done for you. I am the good shepherd. He repeats it twice in these few verses. Why? Because he wants to get it across. It's him. It's Jesus. He is the good shepherd. C.S. Lewis wrote this, God made us invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about him. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. This is why Jesus desires to protect us so much. His claim to be God, to be the good shepherd, as Western, cultured, intelligent people that we think ourselves to be, this rubs us the wrong way. I don't want to be told that somebody has to do it for me, and I don't want to be told there's only one way. But Jesus, as we looked at last week, is willing to make these hard claims. And he's willing to make the hard claims because he wants us to have this experience of abundance. And so he's willing to protect us. He protects us in both his words and in his actions and ultimately going to the cross to die for our sin. Jesus knows us. He protects us. But finally, he leads us. Jesus goes before his people. This is something else that this passage is teaching us about how Jesus relates to us. Do you hear how he said, I am the gate. He is the door. He is the access point. And as we come in and out through him as the gate or the access point, we find pasture takes me back to Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Again, Jesus is making the claim to be the good shepherd. As you 
enter into life through me, you have all of the pasture that you need. And this, uh, this sheds light, too, on why Jesus desires to protect us so much. It's actually because he desires our freedom and our liberation. And he knows that religion, as we talked about it, performance, which is actually basically the same thing as religion. Um, it's just that we don't use a religious spin on it, typically. Whether it be relationships, he, he knows that all of these things enslave us in the dynamics that we talked about. But he is different. He leads us. He leads us through his voice, and he leads us by going before us. Notice the thieves, the hired hands. What do they do? They run away. They flee. They go in the opposite direction. Or maybe we might imagine them when they're watching over the sheep, they lead from behind. But not Jesus. He leads from the front. Timothy Whitmer, in a a book called The Shepherd Leader, says the story is told about a group of tourists in Israel who had been informed by their Israeli tour guide after observing a flock in their shepherd that shepherds always lead their flocks from the front. He told his attentive listeners that they never drive the sheep from behind. A short time later, they drove past a flock among the road where the shepherd was walking behind them. The tourist quickly called to their guide's attention, and he stopped the bus to step out and have a word with the shepherd. As he boarded the bus, he had a sheepish grin on his face, face, sheepish, I wonder if the pun was intended, and announced to his eager listeners, that wasn't the shepherd, that was the butcher. Jesus is not like the butcher. Jesus is the shepherd, the true shepherd, who leads from the front. He goes before us. And similarly to the the idea that we were talking about how he protects us, this is displayed by Jesus. And if you look at how the verses that we looked at conclude, um, I'll start with verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. This is very, we don't have time to go into this, but yesterday in elder training, um, one of the guys um, drew attention to this passage, how this is, this is just really profound, that Jesus makes this statement that the Father loves him because he lays down his life for the sheep. It's as though the Father is thrilled and enthralled by Jesus' deep love for us to the extent that he's willing to lay down his life for us. Verse 18, no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus was not coerced into dying for us. Jesus says that he had complete command over his life to do as he pleased. It was under his charge to take up his life, to lay it down, and he chose to do it willingly for us. He leads from the front to take us into pasture. Catherine Ann Porter was a writer from a century ago, and um, she wrote a short story called Theft. And this is how she concludes that short story. I was right to be not afraid of any thief, but myself, 
who will end by leaving me nothing. Let me read that again. I was right to not be afraid of any thief, but myself, who will end by leaving me nothing. I think there's so much helpful truth in that. We sometimes are so obsessed with worrying about the competing voices that we overlook the fact that, as St. Augustine said, we are the leader of our own destruction. And I want to conclude by bringing this truth home to your hearts. If this assessment of the human condition that Jesus gives us, that the Bible gives us, is true and accurate, if we actually really are like sheep who have gone astray, shouldn't we be a little doubtful about trusting ourselves to guide ourselves through life? And I want to invite you to do something this morning. I want to invite you to give up. To give up control. To give up this enslavement to trying to be the guide of your own life. And maybe you just need to hear the good news that you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that anymore. Jesus invites you to come to him. He is the one with abundant life. Come to him and rest securely in who he is and what he has done for you. He is for you. He is good. He is the true shepherd that desires your freedom, your liberation. He desires to lead you into pasture. You don't have to trust yourself anymore. You don't have to try to be your own shepherd. Give it up and come to Jesus to experience abundant life this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, it's not easy for us to believe these words that you have spoken, that you are the good shepherd, and that you came not just so that we might have life, but that we might have it abundantly, that we might have it in super abundance. So I pray for us that you would grant us faith to believe these words that you have spoken. And more than that, I pray that you would grant us faith to abide in them, to abide in you, to rest in you as our good shepherd. Thank you for knowing us, for protecting us, and leading us so well. I pray that you would draw us out of ourselves, that we would give up our life's ambition to be our own guide, give us the courage to be honest about how this does not end well ever for ourselves, and open our eyes, open our hearts to see your glory and your goodness as the shepherd. We pray in your name, amen.